Welcome into the Grasscutter Social Club, a social club for the everyman. If you've ever wondered what three average guys and maybe that other random dude are buzzing about after the lawns are all mowed, this is the spot for you. Now here are your hosts, Branko, Burl, and Ron. Alright guys, we're back again and I've got Ron and Branks locking it down with me for episode 9 and inductee number 8. Branks, Ron, how you boys doing tonight? Just bang it, buddy. Fantastic. We have a great eighth inductee. Love it. And do we ever. A blast from the past, straight from the West Coast. May I introduce you to Troy the boy. Our man is in town. Troy, how you doing, buddy? Fantastic, gentlemen. I, uh, I, can't, uh, I can't express my appreciation enough. Listen to every episode three times over. I love it. <laughs> just to hear those sweet sweet voices that's the sum total of our listenership is is troy um guys we're doing this a little differently tonight tonight instead of uh instead of rhyming off how our weeks are going or anything new that's happening with us we're talking about the first time we met troy and my story is going to kick us off because i'm a little different than i think the other guys and i'll let you guys pick up where where i'm going to drop the ball but I'm starting off with this. Troy, I did not really meet you until I had heard all about you because what had happened was one of our uh, maybe slimy as a description, slimier friends, definitely tried to steal your girlfriend and her best friend or one of or both of or etc. and convince them to come to Ottawa and hang out with all of us dirtbags. <laughs> and then lo and behold, don't these two girls vanish from our lives forever? And what's left behind is this sweet, sweet nugget of gold, Troy, who I didn't meet you till like a couple months after, right? Once you guys had gotten all settled in and had your own apartment downtown, it was it was long after uh, long after I'd heard all the legends of Troy, <laughs> but uh, I think I'll let you guys take it from here. How did you guys all uh, all meet? I, I would say, you know, Troy definitely had this reputation before he ever really came to Ottawa. Because like you <laughs> said, Ryan, you know, friends of his moved here first. And, you know, we just so happened to be in need of a goalie. <laughs> and, you know, this Troy fella was described to us. Oh yeah, you know, great goalie, small town Ontario. Like, lo- loves the puck, loves to play. Like, you know, he'll fit right in. And you know, we were we weren't exceptional hockey players, but we played uh, back then anyway. Was was Div One out in uh, the Canada Senseplex. So you know, it's not no slouch hockey, and we definitely had some questions of could this guy actually play nets? And then I remember, I think. At least my, I don't know if it was the first time I met Troy, but uh, one of my first memories anyway was with the, in the rink at Sensplex. He just had the red bucket <laughs> and then our yellow Legends goalie, uh, our, the jersey on. And it was just, he was everything that he was built up to be. He was just an absolute stick in the net. So he was just a stud. And then his character was 10 times over his hockey ability. So. Just a real treat to see you again, Troy. Oh, fuck. Thank you, Ronnie. But Branko, Branko, yeah. you group of friends a little later, 
Uh, and so my memory is sort of one of like hanging out with the rest of you guys at the hockey rink. And at that time, Troy was also the goalie. And, and my memory of, of it was going to Kinburn, which is like for anybody that, that hasn't been to Ottawa, it's sort of like, you know, the outskirts of Ottawa, I would say it's very much the, 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 the city, city limits in a tiny little arena. It was like freezing, freezing cold. And I also remember just like smoking cigarettes at the time, like driving myself to the rink, like chuffling like two smokes and being all excited to like show these guys what I could do. But I'm sure that's the first time I, I met Troy. My memory of it was that he's like, was really chatty. Like I, I, I didn't, think of myself as the best hockey player but I thought I was pretty decent and I just remember he was like a really eccentric guy like most goalies are in, in general but um from then on like we we became fast friends because we just loved two things in life which was hockey and golf and I think that was like 80 <laughs> to 90 percent of most of our conversations from there on out so um yeah. not only really much has changed since then either to be perfectly honest with you guys yeah, that's a hundred percent it. Like, you know, moral <laughs> of the story, you know, sports. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, my girl, I remember, you know, I grew up obviously seven hours away from these guys or all you guys. And, uh, I recently, my first experience with Ottawa is she sent me to Ottawa with my buddy on a weekend to find an apartment. So I go down for like Friday, Saturday, you know, Sunday or whatever it was. And, uh, everywhere I called everywhere, you know, I'm a young, I don't I was like 18, whatever I was at the time. And it just turned into like a party weekend. We got a, we got a, a room at the Minto <laughs> suites downtown. I hardly did any looking, you know, I called a few places and it's like, it's the weekend. You're not going to get any showings. I'm like, all right, well, this was a waste of time. Let's just have a good time. Um, so then when I go back, I'm hearing stories of like Diana, you know, we met these guys and all this. And like, I didn't care really about the guys as in like, I was a confident guy, you know, I knew I was confident in, you know, my relationship <laughs> and Alicia and everything else. So they, you know, Oh, we're going to, they're going to go stay at this dude's house. And, you know, uh, they keep, you know, they have like Connor's parents had uh, people stay at that, their place before. And I was like, okay, you know, I, you know, I had stuff to wrap up back home. I couldn't come for like the first month or whatever it was. Right. So you guys had met Alicia, like my girlfriend. That's why I was like the legend where you guys were partying and having a good time going <laughs> out and living that, you know, university life. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I showed up, you know, Connor and these guys talked about hockey and Connor was, you know, a big help of helping us move in and, you know, that's why I say I don't exactly remember when I met Ron. Um, I'm sure it was at the hockey rink or you were with me. But, you know, a, a real funny story to kick, it, uh, you know, the group off to is another fellow in our group here that you might, you know, induct one day. Um, he, we go to Ikea and, uh, you know, I got all this, you know, I got basically thousands of dollars worth of stuff. I got a whole two bedroom I'm going to outfit because we're staying in Ottawa now we're moving here. And, uh, we had like two flat beds and, you know, Ikea is the way it is at checkout. It's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a, a zoo and, uh, walk, this guy walks through and I, kind of, I, kind of, 
I'd kind of yell, hey, hey, like, hey, you know, you know I'm kind of like, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to pay right here. Yeah. And he shrugs me off and I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, long story short, we get out in the parking lot. And I'm like, what? He just walked out. No problems. Uh, that was like a long time ago now, 15 years or whatever. So I'm sure, you know, we're clear of any, uh, incriminating. Facts. Exactly. But, uh, it was a, it was a, it was an accident. I had, I didn't know what was going on, but, uh, it was a good induction. <laughs> uh, I appreciated the help that this group got me. So when it came to puck, my first uh, game, I'll never forget. I was same, uh, you know, I love hockey play, you know, triple a hockey, these guys, you know, all play good hockey, I'm told. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, I got to play good. And I remember it was the very first, you know, sequence of play or whatever uh, that goes back to the point. And it was just a nasty tip. Uh, puck was like going well wide and this kid tips it right in front of me. It's going five hole. And man, I barely, barely squeeze my feet together and get it. And I, every, like the whole, the whole, everyone's like, oh, oh, oh. And it was just like, oh my God. So anyway, I just remember like a big save off the bat and that kind of set the tone. I was like, I'm going to light this game up. I don't remember what happened, but the guys were excited that they had a good goalie and the rest is history, you know? <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, you don't want to let a softy in for your first Well, that's it, right? And with the, I just remember the shot was kind of like I almost overplayed the shot because it was kind of a soft shot from the point. And then this kid kind of tipped it out of nowhere. And I was like, holy shit. And just like, yeah, I got it. But, uh, man, it was going straight five hole. Uh, and, yeah, like I said, I, I squeezed him. <laughs> but, yeah, we went on to win championships. I feel like it's a rite of passage that if you're playing, like, men's, uh, men's like, uh, adult league goalie, you're, A, guaranteed to get just absolutely peppered by pucks, and the teams that win versus the teams that don't are the ones that have a good goalie versus the ones that don't have a good goalie. That's it. Because you know your team is going to always let you down, but you just need those saves. Oh, yeah. Troy Troy kept this in Tier 1 for a few years. That's for sure. No, my, uh, my pride and joy, too, is they kept stats online, and I was in that division in men's league and had an under two goals against. It's like under two, baby. <laughs> Uh, polish that stat line oh man i remember it was me and this big (laughs) like six foot eight goalie you guys remember who what was his name do you remember ron doesn't matter but uh it was between me and him oh brada and i'd be checking the stats every game and i had like four shutouts or something he had three he had like a 2.1 i had like a 1.9 i was just battling this guy like secretly in each other's heads for to be the best goalie yeah this is, this is a perfect uh a perfect segue i think into our first little uh our first little chat we're talking we wanted to talk goalies because here we've got we've got our uh our master goalie our yoda present <laughs> so why not why don't we get to the bottom of these weirdos and and why they're so like what makes you guys tick in your heads first of all Let, let's figure this out like what makes you guys because you're all different I think goalies, uh, you know, I remember being young and uh, everybody got to play net, right? And I think goalies are somewhat of a selfish almost person, as in I wanted to play every game and be in to play all game, every game, you know, like call me whatever you want to call me. But like I wanted to be a difference maker. I wanted to play and be involved in every play. And that was the bottom line. And then I also loved the gear, naturally. 
the painted helmets and like the colorful <laughs> gear, you know, like that was what it was all about. Like we had, we had season tickets to the Kitchener Rangers every Sunday we'd go, I'd see Mike Torquia. He had, you know, blue and red and white pads and everything. I'd just be like, I'd have the calendar at home and I'd just be like, man, I can't, cause I had like brown shitty Coopers, right? Like I had just no color on my pads. This is like <laughs> back in the early nineties. So like I wanted some color on my gear, man. <laughs> that's amazing. So anyway, that's you know I feel like goalies, goalies, they're all like that. They're they're a confident person that wants to you know be a difference maker. You know if I have a great game, that's a great feeling. You know that's you sit there at home after whatever in the in the in the rink with the boys after the game, and it's just like you were a big part of the win. Or you know you let them down, whatever you get pulled. You know it's like that's hard. That sucks. But it's just like, I don't know. That's kind of, that's, that's what, that's what makes the donuts, you know, smile, make you smile. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, you got to have bad games, yeah. but uh, you know, obviously as a goalie, you don't want them, but, uh, and it's, a you know, goalies too. It's such a mental thing. I feel like um, a lot of players don't realize where I'm sure goalies don't realize what players go through mentally on the ice, but like we watch the game unfold in front of us right so we analyze the game it's uh it's a fascinating position where you know when you're feeling good like golf like you're begging guys to shoot on you you're begging because you're like you're not gonna score you know like i am going like come on come on bring it bring it and you just you just you're feeling it you're stopping everything no rebounds you're kicking them you know you're just you know and on the reverse of that you get, you can get in your head like Samsonov right now, for example, on the Leafs, you know, oh my God, don't shoot. Like any guy come around, like, oh God, he's going to shoot. It's going to go in. And it's like, everything goes in. You're like, holy shit. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's, it's like a fun battle within yourself as well as the game, you know, where, you know, if you can stay on top of your mental game, you know, then you're going to help your team win. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a big puzzle, you know. Goalie was never something I understood, like why you wanted to sit there and just like get pelted from Troy's perspective. But I like hearing his perspective on it and wanting to be like the center sort of of the action in terms of like you're never really off the ice totally like makes sense. But what I will say is when I was younger, kind of like 10, 11 years old, when Rock'em Sock'em would come out, like the only segment I wanted to watch was glove saves. Like I thought glove saves were just the coolest thing you could do in hockey. Not like a top shelf shot or like a sick pass, like just a sick glove save. I would just like fast forward to like that segment. And I just, I think it was like Rock'em Sock'em 7 I got for Christmas, maybe one of my first Christmases in Canada. And I swear I could name off all the like random goalies that were like backups that had like sick glove saves in that one. <laughs> Frank, I'll tell you, it's a good feeling. Man, there's nothing sexier than a big old glove save. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you bait them, right? That and a two-pad stack. Yeah. Two-pad stack, yeah. I mean, I feel like – and. And Troy, I'd love your input on this because I feel like the goalies of the past, like maybe it's just the nostalgia and are just our happy memories of thinking back to them. But I feel like they were so much more talked about and more impactful on the game. Like I can just rhyme off goalies from obscure, obscure teams. Oh yeah, man. From the nineties. No, that were great, right? Like a Mike Richter, yeah. like um I can like Felix the Cat Popvan, like Cujo or 
Like you can just name off all these '90s goalies, but I feel like I I watch some hockey now. I can't name very many that I feel are having the same impact. No, you're 100% right. It's uh, I've thought of that, and I I chalk it down to, you know, when you go through the goalies of the '90s, like you know, I was obsessed with the goalies. I had all my hockey cards binders were just goalies, and I could tell you who was backup and who was the number one on every team as a kid all through the nineties. And it was because each one had a unique style of stopping the puck back then. Now it's, just, it's, it's essentially analytical, you know, where they have it broke. The, the position broke down so positionally sound where they're just playing odds and the goalies are kind of like, you know, if it doesn't hit me, it doesn't hit me. That was like a 4% sh- shot. Like, Hey, good shot. They don't even really get out of position or make like an unorthodox like Dominic Hasek or Marty Brodeur. Or, you know, you can go down every single goalie <laughs> from before. They would never kind of give up on a puck. Um, and they each had their own style of stopping the puck. And like I say, now it's very uh, system like systematic. It's just like standard operating procedures here. Like this is what we do in this situation. You know, it's butterfly. It's the push off reverse BH. You know, it's very, uh, I don't know. And like the, the evolution in the equipment too, right? It's, uh, you know, the, play, the way the equipment's designed, it's designed for that style of play. You know, you couldn't, you can't really, like you see, for example, if you guys watch and, you know, you watch how these goalies, how they're strapped into their pads back in the day to now. And their pads, their feet, if you actually look at their skate to where it sits on the, the boot like on the pad it's there it's all over the place they're like virtually got like 12 inches of play you know so there's there's, it's almost income it's you can hardly even compare um the 90s goaltending and that whole the whole position really uh to today for sure and it's it's strictly down to like how the position is played and the equipment it's a lost art it is man like you said man like i you know i i had goalies just from like, you know, I would agree, like, you know, I'll go through this list really fast and you guys will probably recognize. I just sat down and wrote down goalies that I, you know, loved as kid, you know, and there's so much character in each one of these guys. And you'll probably recognize them like, you know, Tommy Salo, Rick Tabarachi, Craig Billington, <clears throat> um, uh, Felix, you know, Arthur Zerbe, Felix Popon, Guy Hebert, Bill Ranford, uh, Damian Rhodes, remember him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stefan Fisse, Red Light Rassico. Remember Red Light Rassico? And, you know, I don't even remember his first name, Andre Rassico or something like that from Montreal's backup. <laughs> Red Light Rassico. <laughs> like this goalie, his, he was known as Red Light Rassico. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, that is tough. <laughs> uh, Tim Sheveldayoff, though, like Andy Moog's my favorite goalie of all time. But you know, Jeff Reese, Jeff Hackett, Garth Snow, Troy Gamble. Remember Troy Gamble? I loved him because that's my name. Maybe the guy that was—I don't even—I can't even really name one that was like ahead of his time. But like you, you look at a guy like I remember Trevor Kidd because he had like a sick glove and he was like a big goalie. And you look if you were to like pull up highlights <laughs> yeah. of him, he had a lot of play. yeah. If and he had those pads that were like checkered, 
And I remember if you were to like go back and look at the way he plays goalie and compared to goalies now, you'd be like, what, what the hell is going on? Like, what is he doing? It was like so <laughs> different then. But then if you look at goalies, oh, yeah. like from that, like from like, let's say you looked at it from a lens of the 1990s and you looked at the, like the 1970s goalies, you're like, what the, oh, what yeah. the hell is going on? It's, it's so funny how far <laughs> goaltending has come, but by the same token, like they're still scoring a lot. Like the technology on offense, it's like sticks have gotten better, players on offense have gotten better. So it's funny how even though goalie goaltending has evolved to like where it seems like it's impossible to score, like there, like it is actually possible. It, it, it's sort of moving in parallel. I was just gonna say that it, it, they, you know, as crazy as it is, they've kind of moved together nicely in unison. Yeah, San Jose, San Jose gave up back to back ten goals in back to back games. Man, like what is going on? Oh. That's insane. <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but I loved kind of watching the the insane style of like a Dominic Hoshik and like a Timmy Thomas where they're, it feels like they're literally flopping on the ground like a fish. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of boggling you how it's not going in. Yeah. But the, their records, right? The, the span of their careers, they didn't get lucky one season. Oh, it was for- just so... They just had a nose for the puck, right? And they would just wild around and find the puck and keep it out of the net. And, like, I I always thought that's an art form. They all right? – there was, like, a group – I don't know. There was there was style, like, similar styles, for example. Like, John Van Beesbrook and Chris Osgood, they were, like, close to the butterfly, like, the Patrick Waugh, like, that style. But then you had, like, the Bill Ranfords and the Dominic Hassocks that were just – like the Marty Brokers and you know, they were just kind of all over the damn place. Like you're talking about Curtis Joseph, same thing, you know, pretty much just, just get in front of the puck. However, you know, however you kind of can. Uh, but yeah, it was fascinating to see, to see how it's, it's, uh, it, there's a mix, you know, and like you get guys now like Shesterkin where it's, a mix of like athletics and you'll get, you'll see Shesterkin get a little wild, but he's also like the best positional goalie in the league, you know? So I don't know. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's exciting, but I agree as far as goalies not having as in, an impact like they used to, they also don't play, you know, 70 games a year like they used to, right? You used to have a true number one. You don't really anymore on a lot of teams. That's a big difference too, you know? That's true. But I got to mention, I got to hear your takes on goalie personalities too, because I feel like goalies is the closest thing to like a baseball closer where you can really have that personality that comes through as they play. Yeah. And like to me, like I I loved playing in front of you, Troy, in Medley, because you were always like, high energy goalie like you got uh, the guys going i love it game. was like an 11 o'clock game yeah yeah i can remember when you lifted your mask yeah. when the like when the other team scored like 10 seconds into the game and you literally lifted your mask at paul and right you just shouted at him if he was even trying out there like it just you brought the best out of the boys but like and to me, that's like the Tom Barrasso. Like, you're like the Tom Barrasso of men's league. But I don't know. Like, there's other goalies that. <laughs> right, that's why. I didn't, I didn't even. Did you see this, baby? Did you see oh, that? look at that. 
I oh, have, you, you're wearing it. I, I have this, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to show you, but this is a Tommy Barrasso, bud. <laughs> oh. Uh, anyway, no, it's from... Yeah, Troy, tell everybody that, that can't see the video. What, what are you wearing? Oh, it's just a 1991, like, Pittsburgh diagonal across the chest with the uh, the penguin on the shoulder, 35, little Barrasso on the back. Not a big deal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've listened to your episode... You know, you were talking about some sweet jerseys. I was like, man, I got to put the Barrasso on if we're talking goalies. But, uh, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree. You know, I uh, I love, like you were talking about, Ron, I'd love to be. Sorry, Troy, I wanted to say, I'm pretty sure when we had Davey B on, he, he brought up Tom Barrasso and how he, like, uh, stitched his own pads when there used to be, like, tears and cuts <laughs> yeah. in them. Uh, and it's funny that this is the second time now that Tom Barrasso is being brought up on a pod about everything. <laughs> well, he had an impact, you know. <laughs> there definitely, there are definitely some characters. Yeah, but uh, you know, yeah, like I like to be in the play run. Uh, you know, I was, I was definitely a chatty guy. You know, like I'm from my hometown's from the same people as like the letter canning, right? Everyone makes fun of the way we talk and chirp uh you know and shorzy and all that but yeah i'm just like that on the ice i just you know i wouldn't let you go by me without saying a little hey you know, a little something like on the other team you know you guys i'm just talking hockey right like you know you know hard hard come on he's coming whatever i'm saying just keeping you guys informed but you know you gotta get in the other guy's ear you gotta stay in the game you know you gotta stay engaged and you got to be quick on your toes. If you can't chirp, you can't play net, you know? So, but, uh, yeah, no. And, and personalities, I don't know how that works out that, you know, you get these Briz Galovs and these, these weirdos, but like, there's lots of normal goalies. I feel like. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Briz Galov. Wow. That's a blast. Yeah. I wonder right, what well, he, what he's doing now. <laughs> I, that's a good question. It might be worth a Google. He's probably like owns a bookstore <laughs> or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, probably building his own spaceship. To go like to a space. cranberry farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. I think with that, what a wrap. That's uh that's a great way to close it up for this segment. We're gonna we're gonna take a little break and we'll come right back with segment two for you guys. Are you one of those lucky few people who get to hit the alarm clock snooze endlessly? Not getting up and getting your day started? Do you wish you could jump out of bed, work out, and get some stuff done? Be productive, maybe? Well, do we have a solution for you. It's time to rent a kid. These little gremlins will wreak havoc all over your home until you're forced to spring out of bed and stop them from destroying all of your valuables. Try it for a week or two. Build a new routine. And all of a sudden, your life and mornings will change for the better. After your rent-a-kid term is up, you'll be springing out of bed at any creak, crack, or noise. In fact, you'll probably never sleep soundly again. So rent-a-kid and get your morning routine started like you've been shot out of a cannon. All right, guys, thanks for sticking with us. We're coming back, and this time, this time we're talking about a little travel and what we might want to do with the boys. We're talking about 
heading west and what sort of attracts people to to head to that bc coast that pacific coast and keeps them there and then we want to talk a little angling because uh i mean troy i don't know if you know but i i was out west for a little while i was uh i was in prince george and and did some did some weekend trips down to whistler and sort of all over bc snowboarding obviously took me different places and i don't know i noticed like it feels like you step off the plane and everything sort of slows down and the give a shit level drops <laughs> like through the floor. Right. Like it's just, it, it feels like a vibe. Do you know what I mean? And that relaxed nature compared to, it sounds stupid to say, but the hustle and bustle of, of being out East in Toronto or Montreal or, or Ottawa. Yeah. It's- it, the, the difference, even in a major city like Vancouver, I feel like there's a difference there, but, um, what do you think, what do you think brings, I'm sure you work cause you're in the restaurant industry. You're probably working with a ton of East coasters, right? Like a ton of guys that are not local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a definitely a completely different vibe than, you know, I think that's, it's like almost a shock, the difference between the West and the East and as far as, you know, in Canada, um, you know, you get the mountains, the ocean, you get the city, um, if you want it, you know, you, you know, it's, I feel like ever that mood, that vibe you're talking about is like pretty much just due to the scenery, <laughs> right? Cause it's hard. It, it's not like, a uh, the industry around here isn't necessarily hustle and bustle, right? It's mainly tourism and then like backcountry sports and, you know, tourism basically. So like I'm a fishing guide, you know, for example. Um, and you just get a lot of, you know, just, uh, I don't know. You don't get so much nine to five, I guess you'd say. I'm sure you do in the city, obviously down in Vancouver. Um, but up here where I live in Pemberton and Whistler, you know, in the whole sea to sky, we call it. Um, I don't know. There's a, it's definitely a different vibe. And it's mainly due just to lifestyle, you know, like I said, everybody's in the sports or like backcountry something or skiing, snowboarding, you know, um, it's very, very like a big hiking culture and biking, downhill biking's huge. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's, it's a lot more emphasis on being outside, you know what I mean? Like you don't hear much talking about, you know, shows or movies or you know, that type of stuff ever. It's all, it's all outside stuff. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I do understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever, did you think you'd be there that long? Cause you moved around a lot, you know, you were over there. Jasper, yeah. yeah no, did you ever, I, uh, you've been there. What? How long? I don't, I, I've been here uh, 10 years, I guess now 13 2013 to now so yeah wow. yeah i uh and you know i didn't know i didn't you're right i definitely assumed it would be you know a couple of years year and a half or you know my original plan was i wanted to get to the city you know because uh i don't know i was dumb <laughs> i was young you know i was <laughs> my, <laughs> i uh you know when i went to like i started in jasper i went back to ottawa and i went out to bermuda and from Bermuda went back to Ottawa and then 
when I came out here, it was the idea was I'd get to Vancouver. Vancouver's got four Fairmonts there. You know, I was climbing the ladder with Fairmont. I was going to be executive chef with Fairmont. Um, so, you know, I had my plan. I had my goal. I, you know, set my goals and that was it. Head down kind of attitude. Um, but yeah, like just again, what we talked about, like I was all of a sudden now in like the best salmon, steelhead, trout, you know, fishing in Canada. You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I'm close to the ocean. I'm fishing all the time. I'm working at the hotel. Uh, you know, I live in the sea to sky. Anybody that knows us, you know, about the sea to sky, it's ridiculous drive, ridiculous area as far as, you know, scenery and all that. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. And then, yeah, I don't know. Like I've managed to, you know, forge out a life that's like essentially a dream. You know what I mean? Somehow, as far as being, you know, a fishing guide fishing every day uh you know it's pretty crazy <laughs> so like that's kind of how i ended yeah. up staying out here uh, you know so long as in uh you know i climbed up the whistler fairmont uh to a point where you know i had an opportunity to leave um and work with a girl i was dating she had her own catering and like personal chef type work job we opened up a shop and did some things, uh, grew that business and, uh, a little over a year ago, we broke up and whatnot. Um, so I just been full-time fishing now for a little over a year and, uh, yeah, you know, I was like, just, just <laughs> life just rolling is how I kind of ended up staying out here. And the fishing's definitely like stole my heart. Yeah. Uh, cause I was always a big fisherman, um, big into the gear, same, similar to goalie, right. It was just a big gear guy, had all the latest gear, all the nicest rods. And now I, you know, have, you know, I'm on the Sage team and the Rio team and Patagonia. And it's just like, like I said, it's just crazy how everything's unfolded. You know, if, you know, like I said to, you know, Connor the other day, you know, it's like making the NHL of fishing. You know what I mean? It's like, if you would have told me, you know, back in high school or whatever, like, oh, you know, you can be a, make the NHL or, you know, or you'd be a fishing guide in the NHL or be a fishing guide in BC, I would have been, give me either or, you know, naturally I would have picked hockey, but like, to be in this industry and to, you know, talk with the sage rep the other day and everything else, it's like hard to believe, you know, that uh, you can do this for a living you know it's fun so you know we'll see it's not forever yeah. i know it's just a phase of my life i'm not uh i'm not delusional to the f realities of uh the sustainability of being a fishing guide but it's been a dream man yeah. you've always <laughs> uh you've always followed your passions yeah. man honestly it's a credit to you yeah it's been um you know you you've always jumped in yeah it's, i've been fortunate for sure and your point about the west not being so much that there's like a, it slows down or that there's like a different vibe. I feel like so much of it, and I've only been there once granted. So I'm, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn, but when I went there and I went to Whistler and I was in Vancouver, like you just can't believe how beautiful it is. It really is spectacular. You have the ocean, you have the, the mountains. It's like you, you can be in like the city and see both of those things at the same time. I remember thinking, uh, 
going to like the uh, the Golden Gate Bridge or not Golden Gate Bridge, but uh, Lionsgate Bridge, and seeing those big like uh, tankers, and they look like they're humongous ships, but they're kind of small because the the your your landscape and your background is so big that they seem kind of small. And I remember thinking that was so incredible. Um, yeah. And you could see like why why it's great, but at the same time, when you're there. Like you're so far from everything. Like if you're from Ontario, like all of us are, like to come to Ontario is a, like a four and a half hour flight. Like it's not like oh I'm just gonna go visit some buddies from Ottawa to Toronto, you know? It's like hey I gotta get on a plane and I gotta fly across the country to see anybody that's related to me, so I can see where the difficulty is if you don't have like a community that you already belong to. But as far as like the the, the beauty of it like it's i totally agree with you it's so easy like you can just be by yourself out there it's so beautiful and i think that's that's probably what like it's it's that outdoor experience that troy that you're describing man like living outside being outside it's almost like um like not it's not an obligation but you're right. It's a culture. Pe- that's what people talk about. They don't talk about what TV shows they watch or what movies they've seen or what restaurants they've been to. They talk about the trails they've hiked or the hills they've skied or, or where they've been fishing or where they, you know, where they've been riding their bikes. It's, it's kind of bananas how the outdoor lifestyle is, is what takes over, especially for like anybody that's sort of younger than us or our own age. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the older crews, but, uh, but definitely everybody, everybody our age and younger is talking about being outside and, and doing all that stuff outside. And that, that becomes yeah. a lifestyle, right? Which is what keeps you there. But I wanted to talk to you, like, cause we got this fishing expert on. My dad used to tell me all the time. My dad's from Salmon Arm, Troy and fishing steelhead. It's something that he yeah. grew, up, oh, wow. grew up doing. And, yeah. and he used to tell us all the time when we'd, you know, have a big bass on or, or we'd be fighting some catfish or pike you know, he'd always mutter under his breath, oh, that's nothing until you fish steelhead. Like, you don't, you don't know shit. You know, he'd always, he'd <laughs> always be muttering. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what's, what's your preference? Like, so standard fly or standard rod and reel, or do you like fly fishing more? Or are you like, if, if it's your day out, what are you reaching for? What, what are you fishing yeah, for? If it's, uh, well, um, it's all, yeah here fishing's 12 months of the year so you know because i fish you know i pride myself in fishing every pretty much possible way as in from like single hand fly fishing to spay fishing to still water fly fishing the gear fishing rivers lakes down rigging the ocean like you name it like euro nymphing like you name it you know i i'll i'll take you fishing you want to do that you know what i mean um but if i had a preference yeah like i'm steelheader is my was like my whole childhood and you know you know what's got my heart and yeah i'm probably grabbing my spay rod like i grew up center pin fishing or float fishing uh but it gets to a point where you know <laughs> like it's not, i don't want to say it's easy but uh you like i don't know you want more of a challenge you know steelhead is supposed to be and it is really hard but when you do it like passionately every day you know for years on the same system you become pretty you know see that rock yeah put it behind that rock okay wait wait now wait here wait yeah boom you know fish on that's not steelhead 
like that is <laughs> that is stealing but like if you do that for too long you lose the fire to get up in the morning and get going to find them you know what i mean because it's supposed to be special you're supposed to only get a couple yeah. you know what i mean they're supposed to be hard to find and like they are but they're not once you figure them out yeah it's just your fish so anyway i switched to spay fish and like swinging flies because you know it, you go from catching you know 36 you know i have stats and all that and uh you know i'd catch fish you know 18 days out of 21 days fishing and have 36 fish out of 47 hooked something like that and then you switch to swinging flies on the spay rod two-handed fly fishing and you know i'll fight to get five i'll fight to get you know two you know what i mean in a season so uh it's way harder and mm. you know it's so anyway i'm uh it, you know when you get to a point where you're you know you're when you're super like intimate with the river and the understanding of the fish and the migration where they're going to be when they're going to be there why they're there what they want all that type of thing and you see the current breaks and the the seams and whatnot and you just know where the fish are going to sit you got a huge advantage because now you can swing a fly right in their face you know what I mean? So I suggest to people all the time that, you you know, you start by gear fishing because you can really, if you know where the fish are in the river, then, and then you start swinging flies into their face, then you can start, you know, getting your, your good numbers on the fly, on the swinging flies. It's a lot harder, you know, basically. So I know it sounds crazy, but like, I don't want to catch a ton of fish, um, uh, you know, the, on a on a on a technique that's like easy and super effective like give me the hardest possible way on the hardest possible fish the hardest possible system no scent no bait single barbless let's go like give me a challenge like that's my kind of fishing you know what i mean so that's not everybody's you know if i'm taking people fishing i'm just chucking gear spinners you know i'm float fishing with a center pin with an egg a single egg you know it's like I don't want to say I don't respect it because I respect it. But when I like see a guy, oh, I got a bunch of fish. I'm like, yeah, you got it on gear. It's like, you know, like get, you know, get a fly rod in your hand and come talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's a whole different level of yeah. angling at that point where you got to be passionate. You got to have a pretty good understanding of things to, you know, because swinging flies and fly fishing, it's all about presentation yeah. and, it's there's a lot more to managing your line and the cast and your positioning and like there's years of learning and it's 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 an art for sure yeah it's like golf and the fact that you'll never master it you'll your whole life you'll continuously be trying to you know perfect your cast and you'll never quite be satisfied and it becomes not so much about the fish you get to a point where you know where the fish are and you can catch them and it's not that big a deal about catching them. It's, it is, you want to hook up and all of that, but it's more just like the art of casting and reading the water and like, you know, getting a good tug. It's like, Oh yeah, baby. Like that's it. Like the tug, you know, like when you're swinging flies all day and you're just, you know, you're, you're bringing your rod across your body slowly, you know, you're managing your line, your fly, your depth of your fly, you know, you're, I'll say the biggest thing with you guys, sorry, I'll back it up real quick. The biggest thing with you guys are an amateur fisherman whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and like why I can catch. Well, just like, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, I can, it's funny when I guide, like I, I try not to cast or do much because it's a bit of a freaking magic show, right? Like I know exactly where the fish are. I can catch them pretty much on command 
it, you know, if the conditions are right, it's fishing. Don't get me wrong, but I catch a lot of fish. You know, the other day when I take in my brother and whatnot, you know, I take three casts, get three fish, and each of my casts were like half hour apart. And I just make sure the fish were there because I'm like, why aren't you guys catching fish? Like, you, you know, I'm, I'm watching what they're doing. I'm showing them what to do and they're doing good. I'm like, eh, let me see. Like, let me give me, give me one. And I've run it through there. Boom. I'm like, okay, they're in there. Like, just keep at it. Your time will come. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but uh, anyway, when, you, when amateur, when you got to, you got to really think about what is your fly doing? What is your spinner doing? What is your spoon doing? Most people just cast in and just start cranking. They're not fishing their lure. They're just like aimlessly throwing their shit out and just cranking it home with no like real strategy, just, just ripping it. You know what I mean? Where, you know, you got to really like, you know, when I'm fishing, like I'm, my mind is like basically reading the contour of the, the lay of the river, what's underneath, how, how it's ticking, how, you know, like my, my varying speed constantly, cause you got to be, you know, on just above bottom and stuff like that. So, you know, with, when you're swinging flies all day, like I say, you're coming across your body, you're managing everything, everything's good. And then all of a sudden you just feel like tap, tap. And then as your brain registers the tap, tap, it just comes so damn tight and just starts screaming. You're real. Just and just like, and then you see a fish way in the distance and like the horizon doing cartwheels and that's steelhead fishing, baby. It's like, it's an adrenaline like you wouldn't believe like yeah like i say when you hook up swinging flies on a two-hander uh on a on a hot fresh chrome like high teen steelhead and it's doing cartwheels like you almost puke it's like you get like buck fever or whatever like i don't hunt but like if you're chasing that fish and it's hard to do and you know you're out there for call it like 15 16 17 days in a row putting in eight hour days, not touching a thing. And then you're, you're real and everything just lights up like that. Like, I swear to God, you almost pass out. And that's why guys are hooked to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, I like uh, what you're talking about, Char, is like totally, it kind of like reminds me of the, the, um, what's the guy's name? The 10,000 hours to, to like, to become an expert at anything, like just putting in the time and eventually like yeah. the 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 oh, growth yeah. isn't um the growth isn't like a straight line it's sort of a curve where like you're putting in a lot of time but not seeing results but then the curve starts kind of going up and like you said it's, it starts hitting and it starts clicking i found that with golf oh, yeah. like you can put in a lot of oh, time yeah. at the practice range and see no results and then suddenly one round it just starts clicking and you're like God damn it! That all that work was worth it because the feeling is just like it's sort of like euphoria, yeah. man. You're just like you're not thinking; you're just executing, and it's just happening. But it's so fleeting; it lasts for such a short time, and then you're back to the well trying to find that shit again. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's you know, I, I give a lot of credit. I'll say to the guys, like the owner of the company that I work for. Um, it was you know it. it <laughs> It was amazing, you know, how much I've learned in the time I've been here from him, but um, not so much from him as far as like how to catch fish, just that he taught me that every day there is, there is a puzzle to be solved. Like, you know, most people are like, oh, this fishing wasn't good today. It's like, no, when you're in this business that I'm in, like you got to catch fish every day. So you got to figure it out. You got to have a trick in your back mm -hmm. pocket. You got to have spots and little things 
And like every single day, the fish are biting, but they're not biting the same thing. They don't want the same pace. They don't want the same depth. They don't want the same color. But there is something that if you put it together, you'll start banging them off one after another. And like before, you know, when I before, you know, like I've been guiding now for six years. Um, And before I guided, you know, I'd have days where I'd just be like, oh, it's just like fishing wasn't good today. But it's like uh, now it's, you know, I'm a hell of a lot more dialed in fishing every day. Um, You know, you you have all these variables that you consider and whatnot. And, um, you know, it's just basically, you know, you know, it's hard to explain, but like, you know, you don't go out there. I don't go out much very often anymore and not catch fish. And, you know, I, and it's, I, like I say, I give a lot of credit to these guys where every day it's a puzzle. That's what I love about it. And when you really start to dial things in, you know, it's usually, you know, one of the puzzle pieces you got on you. There's only, you know, there's not that many puzzle pieces in the puzzle, but some days, you know, you get stumped for sure. Um, but Mm -hmm. usually, you know, each particular fish is different, but you get to learn the habits of each particular fish, how they want it. This fish likes to chase, this fish likes it slow, this fish likes it on, you know, high in the water, you know, that type of stuff. So a lot of guys will just fish the same way, regardless of what they're fishing. And they don't realize, you know, this fish doesn't feed the same way that that fish that you caught before that particular way, you know what I mean? So I don't know, very (laughs) in-depth. Fishing is very in-depth. Uh, yeah like man yeah. I, like this is amazing like how and i want to know like how do you see the fish it's almost like when i fish i see the fish as like the target or almost like the enemy like yeah. the opponent and you're trying to out yeah, absolutely. the fish. but just hearing you talk about this it's almost like you've got this relationship yeah, absolutely with the fish and you don't you you, you release yeah. them all generally like do you even eat fish? I don't even. Yeah, I fish, started to, but right. uh, no, I, I'm a big. We don't. Uh, I don't kill nothing. It's all catch and release. We're allowed to keep like a clipped coho, like a hatchery coho. Um, but no, I mean, I keep fish out of the ocean when I fish the ocean, but uh, not so much out of the rivers or lakes or anything. Um, but yeah, no, you're 100 right. Is in yeah, like I know that that like the habitat that each basically fish likes um you know for example i know pink salmon they like shallow shallow water in tight to shore coho like you know dead water still water off of the fast water you know so <laughs> anywhere where there's a big current break or a back eddy you know the, those are where the coho are going to be chinooks easy if you're going chinook fishing in a river just go on google earth find the three deepest pools in the river guaranteed those chinooks are in the three deepest pools in the river just go fish those pools steelhead you know three to you know two to three four feet walking pace water you know current breaks between two transitional you know rapid periods you know like doesn't even matter but i just mean each fish you know it has uh you know and then and then you gotta understand you know where how fish position themselves in a river and then how you need to angle yourself to present your fly to come across its face, you know, and that that's it. Like if it's a coho, you can come in from behind them, strip past them fast. And they love to just kick their tail two times, open up their mouth and glide and grab what you're offering. Right. But they also like to twitch. Like I tell people, you know, wow. you got a cat, 
Okay. Cats in the living room. Like I'm telling this to guests all the time. Okay. You got, you got 15 toys beside you. Okay. 15 of these toys, 14 of them aren't going to do a damn thing. Cat's not even going to give you the time of day. But one of these toys, that cat is going to snap its neck so damn hard and start winding up its feet, back feet and its ass is going to come up in the air. And oh boy, you're playing now, baby. You know what I mean? You got the cats, you know, you got the cat, you know, <laughs> you, you know how cats are. They're awesome. <laughs> They're nuts. Uh, so, uh, yeah. so anyway, and, and then, so I tell them like, those are coho in this pool. You're going to cast in and you got to do a erratic strip, right? So like, they don't, it's got to be erratic, you know, strip, strip, stop, stop, strip, strip, stop, strip, stop, you know, like just do like very, uh, very erratic stripping. And, uh, you know, these fish will go nuts basically. And they don't like consistency. So if you're just going to go like pull it, you know, a foot every time, like strip, 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 strip. No, nah, you're going to catch three in a day where if you keep it super erratic and really change it up and change your fly often, that's another thing. Like I'll put a, I'll put my, my fly through and catch three fish in like five minutes and it'll be like purple and green and with a silver body and orange eyes and all that. And then I'll go like five casts without a fish. Boom. I'll switch it to a totally different profile and color. Same spot. Boom. Get three fish in five minutes and then five casts, nothing switch right away. You know what I mean? So it's like, keep, keep it fresh. You know what I mean? And keep, and really figure it out. Some days they like a really slow strip, for example, like really tiny, inch at a time just strip 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 stop strip strip stop you know really tiny ones other days they like really fast where you're you gotta you know they really they're on the chase and that all has to do with you know barometric pressure and everything like that i predicted today i could show you messages from like three days ago that today and tomorrow would be lights out fishing because we had a bunch of low pressure come in and shut the fishing right down um, and now today and tomorrow should be lights out. So I went with my buddy. We had a fricking epic day. I said, I knew it. Everything lined up the temperature, you know, the, the, uh, barometer, our pressure was rising hard today. Um, and tomorrow it rises even harder. And when the, when the river's dropping, the, the pressure's rising, like the fish are on the bite. And, uh, it was just ridiculous today. We probably landed 35 fish between wow. the two of us. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a busy day. And like, like I say, numbers, people like don't believe, but like, I'm telling you, when you figure them out, you know where they are. Uh, it's just like, you know, if you go, like I say, if you go 10 minutes without a fish, you just kind of change it up and you just get back on them. You know what I mean? I'm mesmerized. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the, the, it's the... unbelievable. But yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I, I didn't think I'd be as I guess I'm just kind of in a shock for for you listeners that are curious it's Troy what Troy fishing underscore BC at the Pemberton fishfinder.com because this is unbelievable you like the experience you'd have I I'm shocked yeah it's just you know or it's you know, and I say all this, it's like, you know, we have to be like this because when I meet people every morning, yeah, hey, you know, they're from all over the world and it's tourism. And, you know, I'd say 75% of the time I say, so like, have you ever fly fished before? Nope. I'm just like, oof. Like we got five hour tour. 
You want to catch yeah. a salmon on the fly. Hard. Fly fishing is hard. Casting is hard. Yeah. Everything is very hard about it. You've <laughs> never done it. Oh, okay, no problem. H- have you ever uh, you ever spin fish before? You ever you know just chuck spoon spinner? No, never. I'm like, holy shit. Let a al- let alone. <laughs> casting a regular fishing rod you're gonna fly fish without even doing like so like i say i have to have almost foolproof you know i have to have it figured out i have to have areas i have to have a stripping technique i need to know like i tie my all my own flies right like i'd be up shit creek if i was just buying shit that's at the store because you know don't tell anyone but it's junk you you gotta tie your own flies man you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) all that and then on top of that you know the scenery right we didn't talk much about well we did but like you mix the scenery like why you love fishing it's like the places those fish go and the places those fish take you to catch them it's just like fuck i shake my head all the time you know it's ridiculous it's like a rainforest yeah Troy, you know what yep. I wanted to ask you is if have, have you had any encounters with like bears? Wouldn't bears be fucking lurking around there looking for those fish? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm marching off bears all the time. Like I say, people are fairly like uneducated about black bears. I that would be me. That would be me. <laughs> like as in, you know, black bears. They're yeah. Well, black bears are just scavengers, right? Like they they don't see very well. You know, they see whatever thir- you know, 30 feet, it's bl- pretty blurry, 15 feet they see you know, like fairly well. So they're not like a long they you know, they got a really good nose on them. They scavenge, they eat the berries, they eat dead salmon. You know, they don't kill or hunt anything. You know what I mean to right. to eat. They're not like aggressive like that. So they're just like these they're like cows you know what i mean so as long as you're smart you know you don't get between them and they're young you don't scare them you don't you know you don't do anything stupid but at the same time if you see each other you can get you can be aggressive and get a black bear walking the other way like every single time i've never had a problem like i've walked off you just banging two sticks together over your head hey you're and like three bears will run away like black bears want nothing to do with you grizzly bears obviously on the other hand holy shit you see if you see a grizzly bear you hope it doesn't oh really you get the hell out of there they hunt they kill they chase and eat their predators grizzly bears will hunt and chase and kill whatever they want to eat that and they eat they eat like animals (laughs) right they'll eat a moose you know what i mean uh (laughs) black bear like i said they're, they're just eating berries so what do you have you have you run into a have you run into a grizzly? Yeah, yeah, I've seen grizzlies for sure. There's uh, only one time have, did I get like way too close, as in like I came out around the corner and it was across the river, but the river was only like I don't know, fifteen yards wide, and it just it sat there, and I was like, holy shit, it hadn't seen me yet, so I started to back away, and it just like did the slowest head lift. And looked right at me, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like if this thing wanted to kill me right now, like I'm fucked. Because like, oh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but uh, I would just never be able to get away, basically. But it didn't want nothing to do with me. It had salmon in the river and stuff, right? So that you actually that spray exact with you? Thing, that yeah, I got bear spray on me all the time. Uh, that act that exact bear got shot okay. and killed. Uh, um, 
this this summer someone shot and killed it and dragged it into the river we're fishing pink salmon and the thing floated down the river a big investigation you know came of it because everybody knew where this grizzly bear lived like behind the airport on the check on the river that i fish and it was the same bear and it's in the newspaper like big reward anybody that knows it was shot and then just dragged with a rope around it and dragged into the river it's like holy shit so anyway that exact bear Uh, is gone now but (laughs) yeah i got lots of bear stories i was like i stopped at one point like a foot from a bear in the dead of the dark didn't know and i'm sitting on my phone sending a text and all of a sudden like after like a minute and a half of sending it like writing this paragraph out uh something just just absolutely charges through the bush cracking and breaking every damn tree you can imagine and this thing was like it couldn't have been more than four or five feet away off the path and you know i put it all together in my head i put it all together in my head after where I was just walking. It would have let me just walk right by in the dark, you know, and it's just staying quiet, probably laying down, whatever it was doing, but it would have just let me walk by. And then I stop and it freezes and it's just, now I'm just stopped beside it. And it's probably like, what the hell? And I'm just oblivious that I'm standing beside this bear. And and it got nervous after like a minute and just made a run for it. So I just, I was like, I just started running as fast as I could. Didn't even look behind me. It was just so close to me. And the the shit that was breaking, it sounded heavy. It was not a deer. It was definitely a bear. You know what I mean? Uh, So, yeah, you know, there's little things like that have happened. (laughs) But no attacks or any aggressive black bears. Definitely a little bit of poop. It's amazing. With that piece of advice, I think we're going to take a little break, guys. During this short break, you might wonder what we do when we're taking a break. Well, here's what we do. We pump each other's tires. Troy, unbelievable, man. Like, that's un-fucking-believable. Am I talking too much? No. <laughs> you just got a lot to say, man. The... That was so great. We... <laughs> Yeah, we could have had we could have had a whole other thing. Well, that's it. It's like I could talk for hours. <laughs> I need you in person. This is like like it's almost like watching porn. You know, it's not nearly as good as the real the thing. The only reason <laughs> the only reason I cut that off. I'm sorry if I I'm sorry if I cut it off. But the guys asked me to keep it on the rails, so I'm trying to stay within some block. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. All right, guys, uh, unbeknownst to most of you, Troy is also not just an angler extraordinaire and stand-on-his-head AAA-level goalie, but he's also a chef. And we got to take full advantage of this guest while we've got him. So what we're talking about for segment three is foods that you're intimidated by or that you really want to try and cook that are easier than you expect. So those those meals that will impress, you know, a guest or a mother-in-law that you think, oh, this is going to be too hard or too challenging. And you sort of put off doing it or tackling it. And it's actually a lot easier than you expect. So um, I'm going to throw this to you guys. I got a couple in mind, but I'm, I'm assuming they're going to come up and, and I don't want to, I don't want to tread anybody's tread on anybody's uh, toes, especially people that 
you know, could talk a little bit better about cooking than me because I am not, I am not the world's best cook. But uh, maybe one of you guys, Ron or Branks, do you guys want to take it from here and and give a suggestion to kick us off here? I oh, I can, I'm happy to give a suggestion and and something that I'm grateful that I found in in my life is just a nice, simple, easy bread recipe, a dough recipe. Uh, cause you can use it in so many different ways. Uh, and I've just got a little, you know, Loblaws grocery store, quick rise yeast, nothing fancy, but you know what? It's fresh dough and you know, it rises in 45 minutes and then away you go. You can make pizzas, flatbreads. Uh, I made my own hot pockets one day. It was amazing. And just, uh, that I found, I wish I did that earlier. So I don't know, Troy Branks. I know you guys like to make your own dough, get your fingers in that wet stuff every now and then. Uh, but that would be uh, my recommendation. Very nice. Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's definitely along the same lines, Ron. Like baking, um, it's stuff that like sort of has like a pretty predictable uh, set of like steps and ingredients. And that's kind of where my sweet spot is. So yeah, definitely like the making your own bread, making pizzas, uh, also like uh, simple stuff like potatoes or burgers. Like that's where my sweet spot is. There's not too much involved in like the prep work and how to make it good. I think like presentation definitely goes a long way about the way you like, uh, you know, cut the, the iceberg lettuce for the burgers, the way you uh butter the buns and toast them and stuff like it's like the little stuff that matters but as far as like execution like it's got to be fairly simple for me because what i find difficult about cooking in general is like when you're a really good cook and troy would attest to this like it's like a feel thing like you can you know it's like oh i this needs a little bit more salt or this needs a little bit more of this and that like i'm not that person like i'm like just tell me what needs to go in this recipe and I will execute it as, as like, as it's told and won't really stray much other than the way it's presented. So, um, that's how I roll. And, and I'd love to maybe hear Troy, uh, chime in on this because he, he's, he's the guy I'm talking about. He could probably do it by feel, uh, and then figure out what, what's going on. And I'd love to hear what his go-tos are. Yeah, well, That is, it is hard to like talk to people about, cooking or not talk to people about cooking but like yeah I could talk for hours about that Uh, you know when you get again it's similar to fishing well you get to like a certain point like food is each ingredient is just an element right and then you, you get to a point where you just start thinking elements and how to build dishes and you know what what's missing and this needs more acid this needs more fat and if you're going to add more acid and, and more, and it's going to need more fat and you're going to have to, you know, have more salt and you're going to have to rebalance everything. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it's all about, you know, your palate and, you know, so it's like, Oh, give me a recipe. It's like, well, so I thought about this and like for all of our listeners, you know, I last, I heard there's, I think 3.8 million. Uh, I want everyone out there. I want everyone yeah. out there to try <laughs> duck breast okay i don't know how much you guys are eating duck breast but i'm telling you it is the damn best dinner time meal you can have it's easy you can eat it like mid-rare i don't know how much you guys are eating duck but i'm telling you if you're not you guys got to try duck breast and then 
there i'm telling you get some duck breast and what you're going to do is you're going to score the skin and you're going to make checkerboard skin okay really mm. nice small squares then you're going to put it on a cold pan and put it on hot and then you're going to put it on about a, a three-quarter medium heat from the cold pan with the meat you're going to render the fat down slowly. It's going to get all golden brown and crispy, and you're going to render all kinds of fat off of it, okay? Then you're going to just flip it over, okay? And you're just going to cook the, the, the flesh side, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes, okay? And that's it. And you're going to set it aside, let it rest in the hot pan, and just finish cooking that way, okay? And then for sauce, easy. All you got to do, melt some sugar in a pot. Okay, just melt it. Is this hard? All you got to do, melt melt a half cup of sugar in a pot. Okay, then when the sugar gets melted and like see-through liquidy, okay, you're going to add just a little bit of vinegar, okay, orange <laughs> juice and chicken stock. Okay, you're going to do, do about equal parts chicken stock and orange juice and you just do a splash of vinegar. Just do a, a freaking tablespoon of vinegar. Okay. And you're going to reduce that down. Just let it cook down. Super simple. This takes no time at all. Boil it down until it gets nice and thick. And it'll be like a syrupy glaze because you got that sugar that you started with. Right. So you got chicken stock, orange juice and sugar. And it's called duck. It's yeah. called duck l'orange. Okay. It's freaking incredible. It's just an orange gastric. <laughs> it's an orange gastric. Okay. And a duck breast medium rare. It's super easy, guys. I know it sounds all fancy, but just... A medium rare, medium duck breast, super easy, and an orange gastric sauce. Like, this is how, you know, I eat. <laughs> it's super simple, you, though, guys. I'm telling you. You make it sound, yeah. Yeah. It really. Yeah. You're making it Troy, sound real easy. This, this is why we love you, man. <laughs> That's right. You're talking That's about right. duck fucking orange. And I, I, I'm, I'm suggesting people get a quick rise yeast at the Loblaw shelves, like a Jagoff. Like this. <laughs> beautiful that's right <laughs> we're struggling <laughs> no no okay actually no there's one more or that was that was just the main course thing but another thing you guys should make and i'll give it to you know we can post it on the instagram it's just super simple but you guys should make ron you'd love this super simple it's just flour butter you know milk baking soda sugar and it's just scones like english scones from the uk like just a like a or you guys might know them as tea oh, yeah. biscuits um but like a scone an english scone with jam and cream so it's super simple it's, it's like three four ingredients you can whip them up on a sunday morning just by mixing flour sugar egg and the milk mm. and everything make this little dough up 375 8 to 10 minutes yeah. you cut these little pucks they cook into these perfect you could do eggs benny with them you could do just jam peanut butter you could do just buy whipped cream and just gush whipped cream on it or whip your own whipped cream icing sugar a little vanilla extract super simple stuff you know what i mean but tasty same with dessert pot de creme okay it. pot de creme it's just melted sugar okay so all you're gonna do is you just take uh half milk half cream okay and it's about one and a one and a quarter cup of milk one and a quarter cup of cream okay you're gonna boil that then in your blender you're just gonna put two cups of uh chocolate okay then you're going to put three eggs on top of that you're going to put your sugar and you're going to put vanilla extract and you just blend it okay you just blend that and add your boiling milk 
okay and now you just have this like chocolate blended milkshake right you have boiled cream and you have your sugar and eggs and everything in your blender already so there's no cooking so now like you can picture how fast it is it's i think it's uh really quick it's um it's uh three eggs a cup of sugar a tablespoon or two of vanilla extract and uh two cups of whatever kind of chocolate you want get milk or get dark whatever you want okay and you when you pour put that boiling cream over it and hit your start on your blender it's going to make like a warm chocolate milkshake right but the, and then you pour it into cups or whatever you want to pour it into put it in the fridge and then it comes out and it's just like solidified chocolate unbelievably good shit you can put rum in it and stuff like that you know <laughs> like a lot of people will put some rum in it <laughs> just typically right you just burn off a little bit of rum oh, add in some rum with your cream and everything and then you just got you know a little bit of liquor shot and the chocolate it's like a put like think chocolate pudding but stiffer not as creamy like a little more set mm-hmm. and then you guys can get creative on top right you can put whipped cream on top you can put jam berries you can put frick put anything you want on the top of the thing uh, but so, so simple. Like I can wake up, whip up pot to cremes and as quick as you can boil two cups of cream, basically. Oh, what's that? Like five minutes, not wow. even, um, which is fast. well, right. You just boil that yeah. up and then like, yeah. yeah, I mean, three eggs, two cups of chocolate and a cup of sugar type thing. You got to measure that out. But I mean, if you want to, like, I'm the type of guy, you know, I'm very efficient, you know what I mean? And you know, you got to be efficient. So like, just be prepared, like not prepared, but you know, if you're going to make them and whatnot, you have everything ready the night before or whatever, you can have wicked desserts sitting in your fridge for the next night. Yeah. Take note. Telling oh. you. Simple I'm gonna stuff. I'm going to have to re-listen to this, uh, to this pod, like about six <laughs> times trying to jot all the notes down. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We should have warned everybody to get their pan out. Like when I was at uni, Troy, Brian, what do you got? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When I was at uni, Big Nicky actually introduced me to this one. And Troy, you can you can shut me down or tell me to shut up if I'm I'm way off way off course. But um, Big Nicky used to make a, a chicken carbonara, which like it was just bananas how easy it was and flavorful. And like I went ape over how easy it was. So it's just a bunch of pasta. You choose whatever you like: linguine, spaghetti. Uh, get it piping hot. You put in I. You, we usually just sauteed whatever leftovers that we had. So if it was chicken and bacon and peppers and mushrooms, it just went into the pan, got heated up to temp, and then and then into the bowl with uh, all that pasta. And then I think we did three eggs, Troy. Basically three eggs to a big mitt full of pasta, stir it up with a little pasta water, and boom, chicken carbonara. And it was so good. And I, I haven't made it in years Perfect. because – I made it for Megan on like the first night that I'm cooking for her. Like, this is like big deal. I'm going to cook this nice meal and I'm getting through the whole meal, Troy. Like I'm, I've got it all laid out. She's impressed. Yeah. It looks like I know what I'm doing. I pull the bowl out. I put the pasta in, I crack like three eggs into the bowl and just chuck in a bunch of pipe and hot water and stir it up. And she looks at me and just like flat face, like I'm not eating that. <laughs> You just, you just put raw egg in that. Like, I'm not eating that. 
So I basically haven't made it <laughs> the whole time Megan and I have been together because it's just been like uh, I used to almost live on the stuff after Nikki introduced me to it because it was just so easy, right? Like you could just reach in your fridge and it's all right there. Um, and that was my go-to with with a little handmade pasta, <laughs> right? One cup of one cup of flour to one large egg is what I always did. Roll it out till you can see your hand through it, right? Hold it up to a light if you can see your hand through it, then you know, slice yeah. it up into a pretty rough linguine and chuck it in the bowl or chuck it in the pot and cook it up. So like that fresh pasta with some carbonara was the way I always went to try and impress people, but it didn't work with my wife and mm. I haven't eaten it. God, I haven't eaten it in 10 years. Um, because Megan, I'll tell you, Ryan, yeah. that, that, that sounds amazing, Ryan. And what you, what you gotta do is you gotta get the boys on your side. Oh. You gotta make it they'll love it and then they're going to start asking for it and then mama's <laughs> going to have to come around she saw me put those eggs in there and i knew right away i was fucked like here i am trying to impress this chick and i was just like i was so fucked um but yeah so that's that's my dish and then uh and then my fresh pasta anybody listen it's just one cup of flour make a little bowl one egg mix it up roll it out if you can see your hand through it, it's ready. Slice it up, boil it up. So easy. Pastas, people, I love people don't realize I'm, how easy good, it is to make pasta. Good call. I'm going to try that for sure. I love that. Um, and then I'm on an egg kick, obviously. Frittata. Frittata is my, my breakfast dish. Just a bunch of eggs and cream and, you know, the spices you like. Sometimes I do dill or uh dill or oregano or just pepper and a little paprika and some garlic and stuff like that and then all the leftovers that are kicking around the house but but yeah those are those are my three suggestions is fresh pasta frittata and and chicken carbonara or leftover leftover carbonara on uh, on the yeah. pasta theme uh real quick ron i think of you and i think of this so i don't know why but I, a good combo for everyone out there, just do peppers, onions, chorizo sausage with uh, like a tomato base and then just crush it in balsamic reduction. Great combination. Like just a pasta, whatever, penne, whatever you want to do, but just peppers, tomatoes, garlic, chorizo sausage, saute it all up, add your, you know, add cheese and just the drizzle, baby of uh balsamic reduction i'm telling you great combo ron you'd love it <laughs> oh that sounds amazing and I, I this reminds me of two things that have to be mentioned and, and actually both of them happened at connor's cottage the first is when you said reduction troy yeah. and we all know this but the Aaron reduction of the sausage and the wine at connor's cottage <laughs> Like nobody knew what a reduction was before you showed up. And then all of a sudden guys would get drunk at three in the morning and they'd want to start doing their reductions over the stove. And Connor had that like 1950s stove that was either like marginally could melt butter or it was boiling hot. Like it, there was no in between. And we would just, that reduction just burned that wine. <laughs> It was ridiculous. And then oh the second, God. before I get your reaction, 
the second story, Branko, you mentioned presentation with food, which is critical. And we once had a chili cook-off at Connor's Cottage. And I was talking a big game about how I was the Pope of Chili Town. And I was going to knock everyone's sock off. And everybody enjoyed my chili. But Troy, this fucking chef, comes out with this perfect dollop of sour cream. He had made all 15 bowls. He had a little bit of, you know, sprinkled on oregano. And he had some Some chives on there. All this nice greenery on top. Uh, Chives, Ryan, the chives would blow your mind. Anyway, people people lost their shit when they had Troy's chili. And I maintain to this day that my chili was was as good or better, but his damn presentation blew my out of the water. Yeah, no, that that was a good uh that was a good chili for sure. A uh, lot of good chilies. Dave made a good chili. Dave just put a ton of meat in his chili. Troy, you learned you learned that presentation in Barbados. <clears throat> no, yeah, Bermuda. Bermuda. You learned you learned that presentation in Bermuda, and Ron slept through that, so he he missed that master yeah, class. Exactly. That's actually a great uh, a great a great little extra- extravaganza we had. Uh, I worked in Bermuda for a little over a year, or just call it a year, and. Uh, I managed to get these boys, I think, uh, what was there, like four, five, Mark, Danny, Connor, Ron. That's it? Four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, That's uh, oh boy, I get, I mean, there's a week's worth of stories here. Uh, uh, where do I start? Okay, you know what? We'll start at exactly when we, when I picked them up. So, this was back in 2010 <laughs> or 11, 10, 11 type thing. And uh, Four Loco uh, was like a thing in Bermuda. <laughs> and this stuff was like unbelievable. Like there's a website, I think, like Four Loco from last night, you know, like the text from last night or whatever. But this stuff makes you do <laughs> some weird shit. It's like energy drink mixed with 15% alcohol. Uh, it's illegal. It was illegal. It was only allowed in like the States or in Vegas or something. It's since been changed, I guess, or it's not the same as it used to be because it, it it was like doing damage to society. Basically, my buddy broke his ankle on it. But anyway, uh, I picked these guys up and I buy a whole bunch of four locos and uh, I got my buddy that's a bar owner. Uh, we own, He owned like two of the best, like hottest bars in Bermuda. Shout out to Danny. <laughs> and uh, we were pretty much sponsored by Finlandia that week, man. We had unlimited booze as much as we wanted. It, like, I, honest to God, like, could have made a TV show out of that week. But anyway, I picked these guys up and I have, like, a, a private, like, a ride organized where, you know, in Bermuda you can drink in the vehicles, basically, as long as the driver's not. Uh, so he was the driver. My buddy Kenton was his name. Uh, he's driving us from the airport to the hotel and we're just smashing four locals. Everyone's super excited. Um, and so we're pretty, it's like a 30 minute cause it's Bermuda is super small, but you go super slow cause it's small and every, you go like 20 kilometers an hour everywhere. 
So it was like a half hour, 40 minutes, and we were crushing tall boy four locos. And then we get to the hotel and we go straight to the hot tub. And I know everybody there. Like, you know, you work together, you play together. Um, so, hey, everybody, like all my buddies are here. Everyone knows they're coming. And we just start getting fed like quadruple rums, splash of Coke, sitting in the hot tub for a couple hours. Uh, we get absolutely blackout. I don't know what we did for dinner. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Basically, I got put to bed at about 10 p.m. Um, and this is where Ron is going to take it away. And then I'll come in and pick up later uh, <laughs> when I basically wake up into what I woke up to. But Ron could talk. Ron put me to bed so he can kind of pick up the story. Um, he had they had held it together a little better than me. I was like take it away right no. absolutely blackout yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you i don't think you went to bed that much earlier than than when the rest of the night came crashing down <laughs> um but you know i i think uh, to those closest uh to me they know that i enjoy a, a late night shower after a good boozing and <laughs> and uh i don't know somehow the the hotel room shower curtain was all faulty and it didn't work well anyway i had a good uh a good soak and i stepped out into about an inch of water in the hotel bathroom <laughs> it was uh it was like stepping into a kid pool when i stepped out of the tub in the hotel room so it was pretty sobering moment <laughs> to say the least and uh but you know i kind of slept it off I just kind of put some towels down, didn't think much of it, and I went to bed. <laughs> and uh, the security guard knocked on the door at about 8.30 in the morning. Well, I don't know what time it was. But then, Troy, you got a phone call um, from, I don't know, the president of Bermuda or something? <laughs> yeah, the general manager of the hotel. So... To get this, or to elaborate a little more, I had some connections there. I was good friends with the uh, director of uh, rooms. So I got this pimp, like really nice 527. We're up high. We've got the ocean view. Like shouldn't have had that room basically. And, uh, but he, he like hooked me up, did me a favor, right? And like I said, there's, uh, <laughs> there's some fun. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, they put me to bed and, uh, they went, yeah, you guys went back to party. All this happened. I wake up. Went back down to Denny's. Yeah, you guys went down, back down to Denny's. You guys, yeah, took my pants off. That was a whole nother episode, apparently. Um, the not wearing underwear. <laughs> so, but, uh, so I, I, apparently you guys uh, dropped me on the floor or something because you were laughing. I don't know. But anyway, we were making noise in the room we were making we had a bunch of noise complaints in the morning and then uh mr wackerman in 427 below us had water leaking through his light fixture into his room so anyway i wake up in the morning i got calls from all a bunch of people like troy what's going on oh my god what happened last night like your name is all over the morning executive meetings like we had 
noise complaints, people asking us why we decided to do construction at 5 a.m. in the morning, uh, big problems basically. So I respond and I get a call and I get asked to come down to the general manager's office. He basically tells me if he hears one more word, like I lose my job and we're kicked out of here and we're leave, like we're out of here basically like one more word about me or about my friends and all that. And I don't know how we held it together because the rest of the week was such a shit show, but we managed to not get in trouble again somehow with like Mark going up onto the roof and we tripping people in the hallways, <laughs> knocking garbages over. Uh, you know, we, we definitely, there's a few times where we thought we might be in trouble. And Wackerman, but, yeah, Wackerman Ron, didn't uh, sniff you guys out? In that in we had to pay for Wackerman's yeah we had to pay for Wackerman's room like I say the general manager just looked at me and was like what the hell happened last night it was like it could have been a movie you know he read he read the security report and just the amount of like 427 438 441 458 508 now there's fucking water from 427 at like 530 like what is going on up there you know <laughs> And it was just five guys just black out on four local man. <laughs> in Bermuda. Yeah. The four locos. We just four like, we, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll reach we, out like, to four locos, see if they want to I sponsor guess, the pod after this. Oh, man. I guess they were trying to say my name in the executive meeting because it was all over. Like I said, every report it was like Troy. Because I had an insider in the executive meeting that like told me all about what they talked about, and they were all like dumbfounded on like who is this guy and like how did they cause so much mayhem in one night, you know? But uh, yeah, there's Bermuda. Yo, the the more the more the the moral of your story, Troy, man. stay off the four loco if you want to fucking Holy remember what happened to you. Man, it was four locos are deadly. Yeah, I think they're like eight percent. It was a beaut. <laughs> what was the name? What was the name of uh, the facilities management guy? The plumbing guy was. Uh, that was who Sean. was like telling you all about it. Yeah, Sean. Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Just a beauty. I think he's still in Bermuda, man. I think he's like the main big wheel engineer there. Like he does all, he's the wow. head of the whole thing. Yeah. As far as plumbing and gas and refrigeration. Yeah, he, <laughs> he fixes floods by guess. Yeah, that's, that's his job. Fix extended shower. Hopefully he's uh, managed to deal with his gingivitis. <laughs> Guy had the worst case of gingivitis I've ever seen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Full blown alcoholic. <laughs> we got one we got one last short segment we're gonna do. We're gonna do a, a get off my lawn and I I got one for everybody. You guys can chime in after I I finish my rant. But my get off my lawn, it's um it's a seasonal one. And by the time this comes out, season for my rant will be over. But uh I am I'm I'm tired of people that go Halloween direct into Christmas like like November one and I think I think these people need to get off my lawn because I I don't know about you guys but I strongly believe that there's got to be a moratorium on Christmas 
for 11 days. I don't need to hear Mariah Carey. Uh, and I don't need uh, people in my <laughs> face with their Christmas decorations or telling me that their tree is already up until after Remembrance Day. I think Halloween's fantastic. The kids love it. I love it. The decorations are great. The, the candies are fantastic. But um, from the 31st, sorry, the 31st to the 12th, I think it's a time for us to sort of pause and reflect and, and just sort of uh, chill the fuck out because the Christmas season kills us too, right? Like to go direct from Halloween into Christmas uh, <laughs> is challenging. So that's my get off my lawn. I don't know if you guys agree with me or not, but uh, these psychos that go Halloween to Christmas, November one can get off my lawn. Couldn't agree more. Preach brother Ryan. Preach. hundred <laughs> percent. Third week in November. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, Ryan, where do you stand on it's a, it's not November 11th. Are you all right with the neighbors putting up their Christmas lights if it's a nice day in November or should they wait? No, like listen. Cuz that's that's the consideration for me. No, you're right. You're right. And I hear what you're saying. I don't mind putting them up, but don't you don't need to plug them in, switch them on, right? Like I think don't get me wrong. You got the nice weather, take advantage. I might even do the same. But there's no chance, yeah. there's no chance I'm putting out the wreath. There's no chance I'm putting out like any inflatables <laughs> or any like, you know what I mean? The blow up Buzz Lightyear with his Christmas hat on is not going out. Uh, it's not, nothing's getting plugged in till the 12th. Ryan, it would seem to me like a nice threshold would be so sometime between like American Thanksgiving and December 1st. Like that's your sweet spot. Uh, to do this stuff because Americans have gone through their Thanksgiving. It's not quite December. Maybe there's some snow on the ground. Probably not. That seems to be like the sweet spot. Let it like, let it simmer a little bit. You know, you just had Halloween. Like why are people so horny to immediately put this stuff up? Like, it's not like it's that much worse, you know, in a month to put up this stuff. Now, granted, I'm not a house owner and I've never had to do it. So I'm speaking out of turn for sure. But that being said, like, come on, let it breathe. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Open that bottle and let it breathe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I agree with you, Branks. And the states, they've got to, they, I, I do believe the states. Now, listen, this is a whole other topic of conversation. Thanksgiving and Christmas are too close in the states. That's, uh, I don't need to see my family that much that frequently. But, um, but they have, they have that Thanksgiving date that then Christmas is everything after that, which is nice for them, right? Whereas up here, Thanksgiving happens. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, right, first week of October. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just I, I yep. just feel like um, Remembrance Day deserves a batch of time where there's just nothing going on and everybody can just chill the fuck out and, and reflect and and not have to be ostentatious and in your face and loud. And I don't know. I don't need all that during Remembrance Day. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> all right. With that grumpy rant, guys, we're going to we're gonna put a pin in this. And, and Troy, man, you were a gem, an absolute unbelievable gem. What a, what a guest. You guys better just keep this train rolling for the next 15 years because the evolution will be incredible <laughs> Troy whenever we spin I'm telling you hey three, 3.6 million people out there I'm telling you you just stick with us 
We got big things coming. Whenever we spin up a fishing pod, you'll definitely be the first guy we reach out to to fucking let us know all the different ways we suck at fishing. <laughs> uh, Ron, Franks, great job. Let's do it again, boys. Thanks, boys. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back in a bit with a new episode and an inductee to the Grasscutter Social Club. If you liked our show or if you want to hear these guys rattle on about one of your ideas, hit us up on socials, Twitter or Instagram at Grasscutter Social Club. Cheers, and see you next time.